And a very warm welcome to Thursday's programme. How are things with you and yours? Are you well? It's uh, the BBG. Myself, Richie Allen, with you for the next couple of hours. I have a very interesting and always engaging guest joining me a bit later on. Before that, it's you and me. Leave a comment for me on the website. Comment Live is the tab at the top of the page. Always, it's always a pleasure, I tells you, to be with you. Uncensored, unfiltered. You're listening to Richie Allen on the world's most popular independent news radio show. It's the Richie Allen Show. Broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host, Richie Allen. Charlie Robinson is an author and a broadcaster. He's a podcaster. He's a very good guy and always interesting. Charlie will join the program a little bit later on. As I said, it is Thursday, June 2nd, 2022. I'm with you for the next couple of hours. Lots to talk about, or not really. It's been a strange old day. I do a lot of media reviewing, don't I, during this particular hour. But today it's been wall-to-wall Jubilee celebrations, which I've not been very interested in. Maybe you have. Maybe you'd like to share your observations with me. You can do that via my website, richieallen.co.uk. Yeah, the old Jubilee has taken over today, the broadcast and the print media, which ordinarily would leave me with very little content in terms of reporting on the media. But uh, there's always something to talk about. It's been vomit-inducing, though, hasn't it? Presenters on television and the radio trying to outdo one another, I felt today, with fawning, gushing, arse-licking tributes to the monarch, to a woman they know very little about. Very little. You know, this woman, the woman with the sons, one who sleeps with underage trafficked girls and the other one who was best friends for decades with a record-breaking paedophile. It's not her fault, you might say. The apples don't tend to fall too far from the tree. All sorts of mad stuff today. The British monarchist society thinks we'd all benefit from having a portrait of the Queen at home at work or at school. The Americans have been big into that, haven't they? Over the years in schools, photographs of presidents and stuff, and Uncle Sam and the flag and all of that. Never really in Ireland, although when I think about it, there was either a picture of Pope John Paul II. Jesus, Richie. My old voice has been a bit scratchy this week. In Ireland, there was either a picture... Yeah, Pope John Paul II, that's right. Or a Sacred Heart picture. Do you remember the Sacred Heart pictures? If you're not Irish, you might not know. A Sacred Heart picture was an illustration of Jesus, a grown-up Jesus, uh, with a heart that was a glowing. The Sacred Heart, yeah. See them everywhere. Holy water was another thing that was common in houses in Ireland. I can say, honestly, every one of my friends lived in a house that had a holy water font hung near the door, either on the door or on the wall, in the hall, on the wall, in the hall, next to the 
to the door. Holy water now. Which was basically just water blessed by a priest, rendering it holy. The priest said a prayer over tap water. It was now holy. And if you were posh in Ireland, the water, the holy water, came from Lourdes or from Knock or from Mount Mellory, which takes me back. Does Mount Mellory. Do you know where Mount Mellory is? Does that take you back? It takes me back, dear listener, to the summer of 1985. It takes me all the way back to the summer of 1985. I was running around Ballybeg in Waterford. I had a Gansey. A Gansey is a jersey or a sweatshirt. That's the Irish word for it, Gansey, which which, um, was adorned with the image of Michael Jackson from the Thriller album. That's what I was wearing in the summer of 1985. Um, I was going to the cinema. I didn't know it. In a few weeks, I was going to the cinema to see Back to the Future, the first film, which would which would change my life, or at least change my summer. I was 10 years old. Manchester United had just won the FA Cup with my heroes, Brian Robson, Mark Hughes, Sparky, Kevin Moran. The Brits are forever saying Moran which pisses me off. It's Moran. And, of course, the great Paul McGrath and Frank Stableton. That was a great time to be supporting Manchester United. Even though Liverpool were still winning the leagues, we had lots of Irishmen hanging around the team. Moran, McGrath, Stableton. Ashley Grimes was another one. Liam O'Brien. Great time to be an Irish lad following Manchester United. That was 1985, like. But all of a sudden the country went mad and I have vivid memories of this. I remember it almost as if it were yesterday. The country went stark raving mad because people started to see statues, mostly of the Virgin Mary, uh, moving spontaneously. Statues doing weird things like, like bending over and waving hands and crying and stuff. Yeah, all over the country, the length and breadth of the country, moving statues. What the phenomenon it was. Now, before that moving statue phenomenon, um, up until that point, there was only one moving statue in Ireland's history. Uh, his name was Pat Kenny, a presenter of both wooden and robotic. If you've no idea of whom I speak, go to YouTube later and watch a Pat Kenny interview. But yeah, the the summer of 85, this phenomenon around the country where statues of the Virgin Mary were being reported to move as spontaneously. I don't know if it's true or not, but I think it began in a place called Ballinspittle. That's a real place, not a fictional village, a real village, Ballinspittle in County Cork. And this was in July in 1985. There's a statue on the side of the road there, just outside Ballinspittle or just inside Ballinspittle, there's a statue of the Virgin Mary. And someone said it moved spontaneously. And then around the country, like Mount Mellory in County Waterford, people started saying that the statue of Mary in, in Mount Mellory was moving. Next thing, they were coming in from 30, 40, 50 locations around the country. Now, they weren't all of, they weren't all of Maid Marion or, 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 or the Virgin Mary. Some of them were other divine figures or saints. Some people said that the Virgin Mary's face or the face of God was appearing in stains on church walls, etc., etc., etc. 
And a curious thing began to happen, and I remember this because we were taken on a road trip. My grandfather was driving a Datsun at the time, a green Datsun, or was he driving a grey Ford Fiesta? I can't remember. But anyway, we were driven to Mount Mary to spend hours sitting cross-legged looking at this feckin' statue. Hours now. I saw, did you see something there, Paddy? You see something? I didn't, I didn't, Mary, did you see something? I, I'm sure, I'm sure she blinked. I'm sure she blinked. Did you see that, Podrick? I did, I saw it, I saw it, all right. I, I'm sure I saw it, all right. Fakna, 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 there's a name. Yeah, I saw it, definitely saw something. Yeah, I think her right index finger moved there. And we sat there glued to this stuff. This is all true, not making it up. We came back from Mount Mallory. I didn't see anything moving. So I went to my church in St. Saviour's in Ballybeg, where there were two or three different statues. One of Mary, one of another saint, spent hours staring at that. And it was mad, it was mad crack altogether. Um, nobody mentioned at the time that if you sit and stare at something long enough without blinking, it'll eventually appear to move. But that wasn't mentioned at the time. Let's have a little listen to how this was reported on the radio and the television back in the day in Ireland. For the crack, this is on my mind today when they were talking about photographs and statues of the Queen. Let's take a trip back. Radio Telefish Aaron, RTE, the state broadcaster, got great mileage out of the moving statues, as you'll hear now. For two weeks now, the claimed phenomenon has drawn crowds of eight or so thousand each evening to the grotto on the edge of the little village, after two local ladies saw what they took to be movement in the statue. And as the word spread, the crowds grew. Now a 24-hour vigil is kept up and a local committee has had to be established to control the crowds which travel from all over the country every evening. There's always a committee in Ireland. There's always a committee. What do we do about the crowds coming in now? Let's form a committee or a committee. A committee or a committee. Let's get a committee. Believers say that after 10 o'clock in the evening, the statue is seen to move in a human way from the waist up. Now, what, what, what has 10 o'clock and Ireland got in common? <laughs> I'll give you a clue. It involves... Well, imbibing. Moving its arms and head. Others see the face of Christ superimposed on the statue. It's said that about three quarters of those who go to the shrine see some apparent movement. Uh, on Friday evening, about four o'clock. About four o'clock. I was here with my wife and dad. And the Blessed Virgin's hands were three to four inches apart. They're separated this way now. We went home, we had our tea, we came back that evening, that night. Went home, had tea, it's important, then came back. And I'd say about 10 o'clock that night, the hens were back giant together, the way they are now today, that way. It's on um, Thursday night, I saw our lady sway forward until I thought that the statue would fall down. And then on Friday night, I saw our lady's face change, the face of our Lord. And while our cameraman thought he saw movement and trying to shoot it, his camera saw nothing. On videotape, the statue is immobile. Oh, the country went mad with this. The Late Late Show, the longest-running talk, television talk show in the world, then presented by Gay Byrne, covered this, did a whole two, three-hour special, the moving statues. This bit made me laugh. Between 11.15 and 11.30 last Sunday fortnight, uh, I saw several movements. Uh, a head movement uh, from left to right. Several. Listen, while he's talking, there's a mad woman in the background on a megaphone saying the Our Father prayer 
and the Hail Mary. Listen. Several times I saw the entire statue moving down to the left. I then saw it moving to the right. I saw an ascension movement and uh, it was very erratic. And very what do you erratic. believe is the explanation? Um, it's, certainly, it's, some, uh, it's certainly divine intervention. Um, it's a miracle, undoubtedly. Uh, I also saw uh, apparitions um, the following Tuesday night. I saw the face of our Lord and I saw the face of a very old man whom I know not to be Padre Pio and I saw the Sacred Heart moving from the breast skywards back down again slowly to the breast and back upwards again. That had to be some strong puccine that he was drinking, eh? Do you know what puccine is? It's the Irish version of moonshine except it's about 30% stronger than the moonshine you get in the hills of Alabama. Mad stuff this. I remember this. This, this takes me back Great crack this. Do you remember this if you're Irish? How serious this got? That was on the Tuesday night. I also saw the statue moving on the following Tuesday night. He was pissed right up. So he was. That was back in 1985. Little trip down memory lane. 13 minutes past five. So yeah, all sorts of talk of idolatry today. Statues of the Queen to go up, you know, before or after she passes away. Photographs that people should have in their homes, the way in Ireland they have photographs of the Pope, or at least they used to have and stuff like that. But here's a little bit of more serious audio for the royalists who say that the Queen and her family is about tradition and nothing more. That it is a purely ceremonial thing, that it is good for tourism and all of that, that is bollocks. I've been saying that for many, many years to anybody who cares to listen. Um, but if you won't listen to me, you might listen to former Royal Correspondent Michael Cole speaking to Times Radio about the Queen. A message came from Buckingham Palace. Her Majesty the Queen requires the presence of the Prime Minister now. And Mrs Thatcher sent back a message saying Mrs Thatcher will attend at the end of the cabinet meeting and the answer came back, no, now, and she had to go. Woe betide any prime minister who doesn't do his homework before going to see Her Majesty the Queen because she's privy to everything that comes in those red boxes. She knows all the secrets of the realm. Knows all the secrets of the realm. So she said to Thatcher, want to see you. Now I've got cabinet meetings. No, now. She knows all the secrets. She knows all the security secrets. Yeah, and? She's well aware of everything that's going on in this country. She knows where the bodies are buried. And although she doesn't give the Prime Minister's a tutorial as such, she will, she has a constitutional right to be consulted, to warn, and to make the Prime Minister aware. And the most searching question, the most searching thing she ever says to them is, do you think this is entirely wise? Mm. And that makes them concentrate their minds. It makes them concentrate their minds. The Prime Ministers that most people in this country believe to be running the country, uh, they're not running the country. Neither is the Queen, it must be said, at least not entirely, but the Queen is far, far further up the pyramid than the Prime Ministers of the day are or ever will be, wake the feck up people. You're talking about the world's largest private landowner. They admit it's a constitutional monarchy here. It isn't a democracy. Never has been. But people don't want to know. Hey, did you see that animal rebellion group tried to stop the parade today with the worst protest ever? A couple of idiots ran onto the parade route in front of horses and stuff and they got dragged away 
by cops, complete Muppets, lunatics. It's 16 minutes past the hour. Going to talk about something very serious in a minute, at least I think it's serious. An article written by Charlotte Litton in The Telegraph today about the metaverse and virtual children. It's a little bit depressing, but it's also very, very, very prescient and it's also very interesting. It is a Thursday's Richie Allen show. As usual, it's live, it's always live, and later on podcasted. Me, you BBG with you till 7 o'clock. Don't forget Charlie Robinson is on the programme a bit later on too. Don't miss him. Simply read, money's too tight to mention. The time is 20 and a half minutes past 5 o'clock. Thursday's programme. Hi to Peter. Peter says, thanks for sharing the old archive material from 85-86. Richie, I remember it well as a 10-11 year old growing up in rural Ireland. Do you think they got the idea from the episode in Only Fools and Horses? where the Virgin Mary started to weep every time there was a shower of rain. Says Peter in Suffolk. Did the episode of Only Fools and Horses with the Virgin Mary statue weeping, did that predate the uh, hysteria in Ireland, Peter? Did it? Because if it did, it's interesting. I mean, that being said, the national broadcaster... RTE, as far as I remember, didn't show only fools and horses, didn't buy it or license it from the BBC. But if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. And if you're in West Ireland or Western Ireland, if you're in Cork, Kerry, and then go northwest, if you're looking at, you know, Limerick, Mayo, Galway, can't imagine they would have seen that episode. But that's a good point. And maybe I've misremembered, for want of a better term. The whole weeping statue thing. Maybe I've confused that with the episode of Only Fools and Horses, which I definitely did see. So good point there. Paul says he wouldn't mind a picture of the Queen and or the Royal Family in the home. Now where to put it, he asks. Hmm, best place is stuck to the dartboard. I'm sure my aim will get much better with practice. Thank you, Paul. Antonio has been in touch. How are you doing, Antonio? He says, Richie, the madness continues. Today, someone has captured this message. Uh, in a train station in Portugal. And if you go to my website and go to Comment Live, you will see the photograph that Antonio has posted there. It is in a train station. It is a message in Portuguese. And Antonio tells me the message reads, for your safety, make sexual abstinence. In other words, the Portuguese health authorities are telling people, less shagging now for your safety. This must be related to monkeypox. The only other news Sky did this morning, the only other thing apart from the Jubilee, was they did a five-minute presentation from their science correspondent on monkeypox and why the monkeypox virus might be mutating and why it might be a concern. So, yeah, is that right? So they're telling people in Portuguese train stations, make sexual abstinence for your own safety. It's got to be monkeypox related. Yeah, no doubt about that. Jenny says if something is in shadow, <coughs> excuse me, Jenny says if something is in shadow, but with a light behind it, it can appear to move. I had a small bronze figure of a shepherd on a small table in one old house is Jenny. Because of the lighting where it was situated, it often appeared to move. Spot on, I reckon, Jenny. 
We can't imagine the statues were really moving back in the day. Hi to Margaret Hossack. Hi, Margaret. Richie, I thought the same as you, that I'd never get to another live gig, but I've got tickets for the Killers in Falkirk next week. I'm so excited, says Margaret, but thought it was interesting that I received an email from the organisers with a long list of rules. Example, no big handbags allowed, etc., and you must show photo ID to get in. I've been to see gigs at Anfield and Hamden Park, and this wasn't required. I suppose, says Margaret, it's nothing compared to a vaccine certificate, but what about the folks who don't have a driving licence or a passport, etc.? That's a good point, Margaret. Very good point. However, just being the devil's advocate here, as long as I have been going to gigs or football matches, they have recommended no big bags Uh, and in some cases they have said you won't be allowed in with a big handbag that women should just bring purses and the photo ID thing can sometimes be down to an attempt to prevent tickets being sold by touts. Some bands have, have done that in the past. Some bands have tried to take on the touts by insisting that the tick only the ticket holder can access the venue, can go to the gig. In fact, I'm trying to think which band it was, but I went to see a band a few years ago and they uh, tried to beat the touts by insisting that the person who bought the tickets and only that person and his or her guests could go. Yeah. So I don't know if that's the the case there. Hi to Diane, who says, uh, Mark Hughes, legendary Welsh football player, manager, and of course Man United superstar, came from my village, uh, Ruabon. Is that how you pronounce it, Diane? Ruabon. I used to see him in the pub sometimes. He was a nice bloke, says Diane. He's a very quiet guy, isn't he? But I imagine he, he is a pretty good guy. Um, Faisal says, Greetings. Looks like the Make Johnny Depp Look Good Again theatre has finally finished. Faisal is sceptical. You'd have to be sceptical. I mean, if, listening to all that stuff, I didn't listen, I didn't watch it live, but I read the accounts of, of the trial in the newspapers. Dreadful stuff, really. Toxic relationship. Both of them seem to come off as, you know, abusers. Abusers of drink and drugs and each other. Silly stuff, really. Jilly says, Richie, Richie Wall, Jilly says, Richie Wall to Wall Jubilee here today. So that was me walking the dogs and being in my garden to keep out of the way. And then she asks me, what was that last piece of music just before the theme tune? It was a bit amazing. The last bit of music before I came on air was, let me have a look for you now, because I'm a good guy. I'm going to have a look for you. It's holding me up there, Jilly, but I'm going to have a look anyway. Going back into the playout system. And the music was, God moving over the face of the waters. God Moving Over the Face of the Waters by Moby. It was used at the very end of the film Heat with Al Pacino and Robert De Niro. Won't give any spoilers just in case you haven't seen the film, but at the end of the film, the climax, that is the music which fades out the film. God Moving Over the Face of the Waters by Moby. Good evening to Ian as well. The old voice is failing me here. Sadly, I don't know why that is, but it is. But we'll get there. We'll get to seven o'clock. No doubt about that. 28 minutes past five. This is what I wanted to talk about predominantly on this day when there isn't very much else to talk about. 
I'm not in the humour to talk about monkeypox. I don't want to talk about COVID. We'll have a good general chat with Charlie Robinson a bit later on. But this did grab my attention today. Charlotte Litton writing in the Telegraph about the metaverse and virtual children, which I think I said earlier is a depressing thought, but very interesting. So I'm going to read a little bit of what she wrote today. Um, The future has never looked brighter for the Platinum Jubilee generation, the vintage born in 1952, who are now the richest cohort in history. Thanks to strong earnings growth in the 80s and 90s and riding the wave of the UK's property price boom, a new report from the Institute for Fiscal Studies describes them as truly the golden generation, one who will also live longer than any before. Good going for today's 70-year-olds. For their children, and their children too, it is a different story. This week, Katrina Campbell, one of the UK's leading advisors on artificial intelligence, predicted that in the next half century, society will embrace virtual offspring. These Tamagotchi babies, so named after the popular 90s digital pet that children were tasked with keeping alive, will become preferable to the real deal thanks to their comparatively non-existent maintenance, costs and the fact they won't overwhelm the planet. I'll read that bit again. Remember the Tamagotchi or the Tamagotchi, Tamagotchi babies? Remember, it was a tiny little thing that you could keep on a keyring, like a little pendant, little electronic pendant, but you had to push buttons on it or, or, or shake it or talk to it or something to keep the little electronic device operational. Do you remember that shite in the 90s? These Tamagotchi babies, so named after the 90s pet, uh, will become preferable to the real deal thanks to their comparatively non-existent maintenance costs and the fact they won't overwhelm the planet. Amazing. In her new book, AI by Design, A Plan for Living with Artificial Intelligence, Katrina Campbell conceded that while virtual children may seem like a giant leap from where we are now, within 50 years technology will have advanced to such an extent that babies which exist in the metaverse are indistinct from those in the real world. Jesus. Right? Let's read on. The metaverse, in case you'd missed the latest unnecessary development of our times, I like that. I like that the Telegraph journalist, Charlotte Litton, has described the metaverse as the latest unnecessary development of our times. She calls it a computer-generated world in which users can interact with one another, buy things, and for all intents and purposes, exist as we do in real life without having to leave your front door. It is predicted to become a trillion dollar industry by 2025 with some of the less breathless assessments declaring that it has the potential to change the world. From workplaces to education, relationships and more, the push for global interaction via avatar rather than in person races on as the metaverse allowing people to go to places they would never be able to go, explore things they would never be able to see, and feel things they would never be able to feel, per one emphatic post. Add that 
or add to that holding your newborn in your arms and raising a sprog of your own and hey presto, metaverse motherhood can be yours. Campbell, quote, can see virtual children becoming an accepted and fully embraced part of society in much of the developed world, end quote. I can only hope we don't have to. The thought that AI children will become widely available for a relatively small monthly fee is depressing in the extreme. A subscription service to parenting that can, if terms and conditions allow, be cancelled at any time. This all relies on the basis that consumer demand is there, which I think it will be, according to Campbell. Uh, apparently unaware of how bleak framing a child as a product to be considered in line with a Netflix account really is. And so to the obvious question, she writes, how did we get here? Campbell points to concerns about overpopulation, which is causing many of today's would-be parents to turn their backs on a real-life family. That may be true, but so is the fact that the usual concerns over a growing brood, primarily managing the cost and work, loom larger for future families than they ever have before. And that's just a little bit of Charlotte Lytton's piece in The Telegraph today about the metaverse and virtual children. It's depressing, isn't it? That people will be able to live pretty much as we do in real life without ever having to leave the house. Trillion dollar industry. She wrote about people having the ability within the metaverse to visit places that they might never have had the opportunity to visit, maybe because of the prohibitive cost, maybe. And the metaverse, as as the months and years go on, because the technological advancements are so quick now, this is my opinion, I must say, my opinion only, that in six months' time or 18 months' time, they might be able to put you, as one school teacher said to the BBC last year, they might be able to put you in the in amongst the ancient ruins of Rome. What am I saying? They might be able to put you in ancient Rome, in bustling downtown Rome uh, a thousand or two thousand years ago. We'll put you there. And with the advancements and with, of course, insertables, or implantables, I should say, the neural interface stuff, maybe in a year or two or three years, you will be of the total belief that you are actually there. It'll be so good that you will believe, not that you are actually in your study, your office or your bedroom, but you are actually walking around downtown Rome 2,000 years ago. And I think, writing in The Telegraph today, I think she's right, Charlotte Lytton, they're going to sell this to people on, on the basis that this is the best way to protect the planet from falling in on itself or from burning us to death because of temperature rises or drowning us because of sea level rises. This is the best way to do it. The best way to live is inside the metaverse, right? 
exercise in the metaverse. We can put you in the Olympic Stadium in Los Angeles back in 1984. Right? I remember that one because it was an amazing thing to be watching in Waterford on RTE, watching John Tracy win a silver medal for Ireland in the marathon. Right? So we'll put you there if you want, or we'll put you at the Olympics in Mexico in 1970. And you can go long jumping with Bob Beeman. I think that was the guy's name. Amazing. You don't have to leave home now. We'll put you in that restaurant in London that's got a five-year waiting list. We'll put you in there. You should have all of your meetings in there. No need to go to the office. You can be in the office, in the metaverse. This is where it's going. Don't have children. Children create CO2. Have a child in the metaverse. It'll feel real. Just 100% down to the smells of the nappies, the odour, the, 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 the odours. You can think of, you think of a child now, you think of babies, and you think, um, you think, uh, what's that stuff? They don't put it on kids anymore now, so it's talcum powder, because it, they found out it gives you cancer, Johnson & Johnson. But um, these are the smells you think, Johnson & Johnson's baby shampoo, there you go again. This isn't an ad for Johnson & Johnson. Think of all of that. They'll be able to create that for you in the metaverse. You won't leave home. And while you're sitting there, you won't be creating CO2. Apart from that which you breathe out. It's dreadful stuff, isn't it? And you know, I, I, I can't imagine that you'd get too far. Once they start, once these headsets become more and more commonplace, and apparently they're selling like hotcakes now, to, to use a well-worn cliche, I don't think it'll be possible to explain to a generation how dangerous it is and that they are effectively constructing their own prison. I don't think you'll be able to get through to them. I will never put one of these headsets on my head, ever. No matter how curious I am. I mean, I went to see some of the 3D films when 3D became brilliant. I was blown away by it. I went to Malaga with uh, El Frogo Tremendo and friends of ours to watch U2 3D. Remember that? What an experience. You went to this massive IMAX screen. It was in 3D. And you felt you were in the audience at the Vertigo Tour in South America at River Plate Stadium. That was amazing. That is redundant technology now. They'll put you on stage with Bono or The Edge, or Roger Waters, or Van Morrison, or Dua Lipa, or whoever the fuck you want to be on stage with. They'll give it to you, for a price, of course. You won't get any of this for free, you'll have to pay for it. And uh, I don't see how you'll be able to tell people that you're basically building your own prison around you, and you'll never escape from it. As the time is 19 minutes to the top of the air. What a depressing but very interesting story. Having children in the metaverse. And we have heard, and I've played some of the clips on this programme in the monologues, we've heard from some of these Extinction Rebellion evangelicals, we've heard them say that, that having children is killing the planet. We've heard children say, we've heard children say, haven't we, 
trying to think if I still have the audio, children that were visited by BBC Breakfast. When I say children are talking about early teens, we're talking about high school kids, saying that they weren't planning on having a family. Now, I know you might say, look, they're only 12, 13. Of course, they'll change their mind in 10, 12, 15 years' time, but maybe they won't. Not going to have children because of the impact that'll have on the planet. It's, um, it's depressing stuff, isn't it? Virtual children becoming an accepted and fully embraced part of society in much of the developed world. I've got to get a, a copy of that book. I'm not endorsing it. I don't want you to go buy it. I don't want to be advertising this crap, but I want to read more of what um, she's written in this book, this woman, Katrina Campbell, who advises on artificial intelligence, predicting that virtual offspring will be all the rage in a few years' time. Oh, Jesus, it's not great, is it? It's time for another tune. You're with uh, Thursday's Richie Allen Show with me, Richie Allen, coincidentally. Here's another tune. I have no idea what it is. Back in a couple of minutes' time. Ah, it's Curtis Mayfield. And move on up on uh, the Richie Allen Show. I'll be reading your comments out next. Comment live at richieallen.co.uk. Curtis Mayfield on the Richie Allen Show. That is move on up. Yeah, lots of comments coming in. I'm going to read them um, momentarily. Thanks for them. It's comment live at richieallen.co.uk. Ask not what the BBG can do for you, but what you can do for the BBG. Support the Richie Allen Show now at richieallen.co.uk. Iconic, the home of hard-hitting news, groundbreaking original series and films, podcasts, live events and more across a range of subjects from current affairs, reality, Consciousness, health, wellness, spirituality, comedy, and more. Start your seven-day free trial now and begin your iconic journey today. Find us online, iOS, Android, Roku, and Amazon Fire Stick. Iconic. It all starts with you. It's the BBG, not the BBC. This is your Richie Allen Show, live from the magnificent city of Salford. And uh, thanks so much for your comments. Banjo says, is it possible to punch Bono in the face when you're on stage with him? Maybe. I don't know. Ian says, I'm in my mid-30s. I've never put on a VR headset, and I doubt I ever will. The whole idea creeps me out. Joan says, Richie, babies have their own smell, nothing like it, it's beautiful. They can never replace that. I cannot believe couples would do that, would they, asks Joan. David says, Metaverse is bollocks, can you imagine one minute you're on a beautiful yacht? You're on a beautiful, massive yacht at sea, then you get peckish and fancy something to eat, so you have to take the goggles off to cook something. Then you realise you're actually living in a shithole, says David. Not that I do, he says, by the way. Let me tell you this. About five years ago, I had a Samsung Galaxy phone. And at that time, they had an Oculus, a thing called Oculus, which wasn't a headset, but it was goggles. It was virtual reality goggles. And I bought the Oculus goggles, which at the, at the time, I think I got them in a sale. I think I got them for like 35 or £40. Pounds. And I downloaded some stuff on the phone. And then you had to connect the phone to the Oculus goggles. In fact, you inserted the phone into the goggles and you put the goggles on, which wrapped right around the side of your head. And I have to say this, this was five, in fact, it was more like six years ago. It was astounding, really. 
there was one particular thing where they put you in a little forest and they put you next to a dinosaur. I'm trying to think which dinosaur it was. It was a big one. It wasn't a brontosaurus. It might have been a metasaurus, a metasaurus, a carnivore. I can't remember which carnivore it was, but it was astounding. And as I stood in the room and moved my head from side to side, I was able to follow the movements of the dinosaur and I was able to see beyond the dinosaur, the foliage, the trees. And it was mesmeric, really, mesmerising. That's six years ago, you know. A friend of mine, I won't name him, um, a year or two ago, he got one of the headsets much more advanced than the silly goggles I had. I got it to have a look at it because at the time I was reading one of David Icke's books where he was talking about this. In fact, David had come on the programme to talk about how, in his opinion, virtual reality was, was the idea was to take people yet yet another step away from reality. He believes that we are all spiritual beings, energetic beings, having an experience. That's what he believes. He might very well be right. That's the reality. Because most people don't know that reality, that they are beings of light, um, they think they are Richie Allen. I think I'm Richie Allen. You think you're Joan or David or, or Jean Anne, but in fact you're not. We are one step away from reality. He said the VR stuff was to take you yet another step away from it. I would imagine he's thought a bit harder about it now. I don't know. And I would imagine these days he would probably say a bit more about it, that it is designed to do some of the things that we've talked about here today on this programme. So it was astonishing. That was six years ago, the things you could do in it. I was able to go fishing on another little app. I was able to be on a boat. Mad stuff. And it, fe it didn't feel very real. It looked real. But it didn't feel real because while it looked real, I'm looking through it and I'm like, wow, I'm actually by the lakeside. But I knew it wasn't because I could feel my bony backside on my sofa. I could reach to my left to feel around for the dog. And my hand then would alight on the dog. And I went, oh, Jesus, yeah, there's the dog now. But I'm looking at the, the, the lake. But it's more advanced now. And it will continue to be more advanced. To the point where you will have out-of-body experiences. They're, they're, they're talking openly about this. You will not feel or even remember that you are in your living room. Or your bedroom or in the, in the garden shed. And implantables will have a lot to do with that. Take you completely out of there. I went to the cinema to see Ready Player One in 3D, coincidentally. And I thought, Jesus, that's where it's going. Be all you want to be in the metaverse. All the pleasures denied to you in real life because of financial constraints or because you don't have the capabilities. You're not good enough to play football for Liverpool or Manchester United. Or most people are good enough to play for United these days. Well, we can make that, we can change that for you in the metaverse. We'll give you real life experiences. We'll build worlds around you. The possibilities are limitless. Millions, if there are millions and billions of stars in millions of galaxies, which some people believe there are, they'll be able to build millions and millions of worlds. Life experiences. Put you in there for life. 
what sort of life would you like to live? Well, I'd like to live a life like Cristiano Ronaldo. I'd like to be a professional footballer playing for Manchester United with a massive mansion in Cheshire, holidays in the most exotic destinations in the world, and a beautiful wife and children. I want to live that. They'll be able to give it to you. Do you think people will say, no, that's weird and creepy and it's a bit of a prison? I think increasingly people will say, sounds fantastic. I'm in. Where do I sign up? If you make the world scary enough with lies about climate apocalypses and scamdemics, you make life stressful enough for people with bills they can't pay, maybe they will eventually accept owning nothing in return for access to the metaverse. Imagine it. You give people a taste of it, a flavour of it. It's amazing. And then you take it off them. And you tell them, we'll let you back in there. And it's good for the planet. It's good for humanity. If you um, give up everything you own, give it to us. Your house, which isn't climate efficient, isn't energy efficient anymore. Your job which isn't energy efficient anymore. You are not energy efficient, you carbon-creating bastard. So give it all up for the metaverse, and we'll give you the metaverse. We'll give you every pleasure. Do you see why some people think it's Luciferian? Because in the, dev, in, in the Bible, as far as I can remember, the devil offered unlimited uh, pleasures and riches and experiences to people if they would only bend the knee and swear allegiance. I wonder, is that the way things will go in the very near future with the metaverse? I think that's what they're doing. They're building paradise off Earth. In the virtual world, off Earth, away from reality. Paradise, everything. Everything you want. And who's to say they won't have implantables that will be able to feed you supplements and stuff? Because David asked a very good question. So you're on this yacht. You're with Duran Duran back in 1982. You're making the video for Rio. Got all these Playboy Playmates on there. It's very real. You can feel the wind on your face. You can dip your toe into water. It's wonderful. But then you have to go and have your dinner. Well, why not in the near future? Why not? implantables that can uh, give you an energy boost. Something made in some 3D printer. Something that doesn't have any meat or anything like that. Some substitute that's made. Maybe made out of human cells, maybe. Am I talking monumental bollocks? Here I am. Well, what's new? The time is seven minutes to the top of the hour. You always talk monumental bollocks, Richie figure. I do! Marcus says, virtual family, this is fucked. He says, no wonder people are more happy getting pissed. Indeed. Angela says, AI babies is a nonsense. Although having had my son tell me today that I had really hurt him by visiting him, maybe I've gotten it wrong. Is that right, Angela? I'm sorry to hear that. Get the wooden spoon to him, Angela, and beat the granny out of him. He's lucky to have a good mum. John says, good to be hearing the BBG live. The earth is still demonstrably level, says John. <laughs> I'll give over, John, will you? 
Then again, Chris and Emma say, Richie, my missus is a child minder. It's keeping us afloat as I was dismissed for refusing the jabs. Those virtual kiddies would put us out on the streets, says Chris. I hope you get back to work soon, Chris, and that you'll be okay, you and Emma there. Martin says, if we kill the virtual kitty program, do we go to jail? Amazing. But by the way, Angela also said, my children had Tamagotchis. They kept dying. <laughs> what happened when the Tamagotchi died? Did you have to throw away the little plastic thing? Or were you able to put a new battery in? I, I don't know. Please help me out, people. Let's talk about something to do with climate change. Um, hey, before we do that, though, just very briefly, Michael O'Leary, the boss of Ryanair, we all hate the Baxter, but we've all benefited from his low fare revolution too, haven't we? We have. We've gone to places we couldn't have imagined going to for fairly, fairly, fairly low prices. I remember when I first started working seriously, Back in 1997, 1998, and, you know, I was DJing and stuff. But when I got into radio, it was amazing to be able to travel to places. You know, Amsterdam. And I didn't go to Amsterdam. It's Germany and places like that. You know, England all the time. France. 20 quid. Amazing. Anyway, he, he wants the army to help with the travel chaos, which is being experienced by people at uh, UK airports right now because of staffing issues. According to the Telegraph, Ryanair has called for the army to be brought in to resolve travel chaos at airports that is likely to continue throughout the summer holidays. O'Leary, the airline's chief executive, said parachuting, parachuting in military personnel, presumably not literally parachuting them in, uh, it's in the best option, it's the best option to mitigate long queues and widespread disruption for tens of thousands of holidaymakers. O'Leary said, quote, bringing in the army which they do and many other which they do at many other european airports would at a stroke relieve the pressure on airport security and would mean that people have a much better experience not just this weekend but for each weekend over the next 3 4 months O'Leary's remarks um, follow allegations by transport secretary grant shapps that airlines sold seats for flights that they were not going to be able to operate. We won't stay with that very long. But again, the army. We create a situation where there are staff shortages. They did it in hospitals. Um, they did it in policing. They're doing it in travel. And there's always someone to recommend bringing in the army. Leave that one with you. Tire extinguisher. Speaking of climate change and the fear of climate change and what it might mean for future generations. It's bollocks, all of it. You know, I know. Tire extinguishers, Muppets, bunch of morons, who for some weeks now have been letting down the tires of SUVs. An SUV is a sports utility vehicle, four-wheel drive, big old thing, think Range Rover. So tire extinguishers have been letting people's tires down and leaving notes on the windscreens. Cheeky bastards. Uh, Naga Munchetti, a gnome, the only working gnome on British television today, uh, spoke with Kerry, an optometrist, an optometrist. Um, apparently tyre extinguishers let the air out of his tyres. He wasn't too happy. This is kind of interesting. 
I, well, I got in my car on the driver's side, obviously, and didn't initially didn't notice that the two near side tires had actually been completely deflated until I started to drive to try and drive off. And then I realized, you know, you get the feeling that something's wrong. So I got out, had a look, completely deflated, and there was a notice from the um, tire extinguishers group on my windscreen explaining why they'd taken the action they did. What did the note say? It basically said that your gas guzzling monster um, is uh, responsible for um, excess emissions in cities and you shouldn't be driving such a vehicle in cities. It was actually quite, the the tone of it was pretty self-righteous, if I'm honest. Um, It was saying that even if you don't care about people far away from you in other countries suffering from the effects of climate change, then you might want to think about sort of pollution locally. Why do you drive an SUV, may I ask? Because I can afford one. None of your business, you little imp. She asks him, what was his answer to that? What was his answer? My profession is an optometrist, so I'm an optician, and I, as well as working in the community, I have a... um, I go to see see people who aren't able to get to their own optician out of, because of um, mobility issues. Uh, have to carry a lot of equipment around with me to simulate an eye examination, sort of in the in the consulting room. I've got two dogs that I need a crate in the car um, as well. So when you t- factor all that into account, you actually need a fair bit of space in the vehicle. How did you feel when you were told you're driving a gas guzzler? Did it? I know you said the tone of the note was quite self-righteous, but did it make you think, okay, uh, I don't agree with what they're doing, but I get that they're trying to protect the planet? Trying to protect the planet by leaving the air out of people's tyres. They're not very bright, are they, these dickheads? Let's call them what they are, dickheads and goons. Because if the guy has breakdown, which starts at home, um, the good chance he's going to call his insurer... And they're going to send somebody out in a truck. <laughs> you know, they're going to send somebody out in a truck. They'll reinflate his tyres and he'll get back in his SUV and he'll drive away. What, you, what you've done there is you've created an unnecessary journey from another gas guzzler. They're stupid, these people, aren't they? I, I understand where they're coming from, um, but I. <sighs> My, my my sort of points were really, well, you know, they don't really know what an individual does who owns uh, any vehicle, what they do in their in their life to um, reduce their effect on the planet. In my case, I don't have meat or dairy. That's a choice I've made because of the effect on the planet. He's not having meat or dairy now. This victim of tire extinguishers, he's just as bad as them. No meat, no dairy to protect the planet. Um, I don't have children, so I'm not adding to population growth in the planet either. He's not adding to population growth in the planet. No kids. And just this week, um, my husband and I have just booked a um, a holiday in Italy later in the year, and we're taking sounds good. Italy taking the train all the way because we don't want to take short haul flights. Jesus Christ! So in other parts of our lives, we're taking steps to mitigate, you know, our effect on the planet. It's crazy that the tire extinguishers didn't take any of that into account, that you're not having any kids, that you are taking trains to Italy, you're not having any meat or dairy, all to protect the planet. It's a minute past six. 
We're just gone a minute past six. This is Thursday's Richie Allen Show. Bank holiday Thursday. Colin says all modern cars, including hybrids, electric and SUVs, look exactly the same, says Colin. Very ugly, no style, no originality, just different badges, he says in his opinion. Never been too fond of them myself there, Colin. I have a a nine-year-old car. It's an estate. It's a McGann. I think if I did have the money to buy a brand new car, which I don't, I don't think I'd buy an SUV, but it's got nothing to do with the planet. Nothing. I'd like now a Mercedes E-Class estate. Nice and smooth on the road. Nice and comfortable for me big long legs. That's what I'd like if I had the money. But they set you back about 30 grand, so I won't be having anyone anytime soon. But my old um, Megan, I only pay £15 a year road tax because it's got very low emissions. This nine-year-old uh, hunk of junk that I drive. But no, I wouldn't be a fan of SUVs myself. Canyonero! Canyonero! Uh, hi to Richard Kelly. Craig says, from a certain point of view, the Garden of Eden could be seen as a virtual reality environment. No ownership, no kids, and eviction from it once the system got hacked. And then, in inverted commas, he says, the apple. Thanks, Craig. John came on to say, Black Mirror episode Striking Vipers covered the metaverse. Perhaps it's predictive programming, Richie. Perhaps is right, John. It's often the way these days that something happens, geopolitically something happens, technologically, and we think, wow, remember, remember the film. And that's a point that Chris makes on the website. He says the Arnie film, Total Recall, they've remade it since, had all of this virtual travel stuff, didn't it? It was manufactured memories, wasn't it? That's right. In the film, Arnie and later Colin Farrell, I think. But in the real film, Arnie, he went to recall, recall, and they plant a memory. And there was an advertisement within the movie, within the film, which said, why have all the hassle of real holidays? Lost luggage, bad weather, nagging wives and children, all of that crap. Why not go to recall? They will implant the memory of a fantastic holiday. The holiday of a lifetime. And... In the, in the film, of course, Arnie goes to Mars or gets a, an implant uh, which, which, which gives him the belief or the experience that he went to Mars. Faisal says, I prefer the graphics and surround sound of real life. Played a really fun street music game for a while until it got a bit buggy and some other adventures. I don't mind computer games, but they're not as good. No, they're not. As good as real life. I concur. Diane says exactly. Make real life dystopian. Then make virtual reality really attractive. Yes I can see it. But I like living in the wilds. Doing what I do. So they can do what they like. I won't be going along with it. Says Diane. Thank you so much for that Diane. number of you have referenced Black Mirror today. I can never remember. Charlie Brooker is it? Charlie Brooks or Charlie Brooker. I can never remember. It's early onset dementia for the BBG. Bruce says this is already happening to gamers. The endorphin overload makes them forget to drink and they dehydrate, sometimes to death. Thanks for that, Bruce. Yes, I do recall reading something about a gamer dying. (laughs) Being found. 
someone living on his own being found in his chair with the controller on his lap or falling to the floor or something like that. Pandora came on to say, I know of someone with a VR set and a porn show within such a thing. It sucked, says Pandora. The issue was, is it the porn stars doing such or the weird person that has such a setup? Don't know. But like I said, I, I think they've probably already got the technology. It's probably there. But they haven't yet released it, is my point, where the user will, will believe 100% they are in whatever environment they have chosen to be in within the metaverse. They're talking about doing it for concerts. You know, imagine it. They're talking about doing it for concerts where live bands, particularly modern musicians, forget U2 and Springsteen, forget them, right? They won't do this. But Ed Sheeran maybe will. Maybe, maybe not even him. Maybe he's a dinosaur too. But the artists making waves behind Sheeran will probably not tour because of climate change. What they will do is perform in a studio somewhere. Or not even. Maybe they will record a live set. And then built around that will be this incredible amphitheatre. All digitally. All virtually. And if you want to, if you like that particular artist, you can pay and they will put you in that crowd and you will believe it. You will smell the beer and the sweat. You will be jostled by fellow concert goers. You can smell the night sky. You can look up and see the moon. And right in front of you is your favourite band. They're right there, exactly as they would be if you bought a ticket to see them at the O2 in Manchester or the AO Arena. That is where it is going. I know I'm right about this. And of course, I'm not the first person to say this. But I've looked into it. This is where we're going. Gail says, Evening, Richie and everyone. Maybe they will let us be educated for 20 years, work for 20 years, retire for 20 years, then give us a good death, all providing that we comply. Thanks, Gail. I wrote on the website some time ago, I nicked the story, as I, as I, as I do, from RT.com, which I can't access without a VPN these days, because the Russians are the enemy now. But I did read a story about the printable uh, euthanasia um, chamber, remember? The printable euthanasia coffin, where if people have had enough of life, they can get into this thing and it gives them laughing gas. Effectively, it 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 uh, pours laughing gas in to this uh, sealed yoke, this kind of coffin that can be printed three D. In comes the laughing gas, and you go into a euphoric state, and then you die. Yeah, I tell you what, I'm really cheering you up today, aren't I, dear listener? I'm full of good cheer. This is, of course, Thursday's Richie Allen Show, June 2nd, 2022. I am Richie Allen. It is only fantastic to be with you today. The Richie Allen Show features doctors, scientists, academics and researchers who have been banned by the legacy media. Support Richie now by making a financial contribution at richieallen.co.uk. And thank you for all of your comments. I really appreciate it. It's good to read you, to read you. Good. It's richieallen.co.uk. Comment live. That is uh, the way to reach me during the programme. It ain't on Twitter anymore. 
banned from Twitter. Not once, not twice, but thrice. Thrice. John's been back on to me, asking me to check out the Imagine Recurve. John, I say this with, with real um, decency and sincerity, um, and not to offend or to hurt because I don't know you. I have no interest in theories about flat earth, none whatsoever. I'm just telling you to, to, to kind of save your own energy. I'm not going to be checking out interviews with people. I have no interest in it. I never have and I never will. I don't believe it. I don't go along with it. It's not something I concur with. So, no. It's not for me. Angus says, nothing wrong with gamers. I listen to the BBG while playing Transport Fever on the computer and I have amassed $2 billion. <laughs> Two billion virtual dollars. I love it. Craig says, everyone here is saying they wouldn't want to engage with a virtual reality, but what if we are already ha living in one? Well, you see, Craig, I've said this myself. I, have, I haven't said it today, but I have said it before. In fact, I did say it today. There are those who believe, and I think it's probably true, and this is why I don't have any interest in John's flat earth theory. Not because I think John's an Egypt. I don't think John's an Egypt at all, or anybody else who believes in flat earth theory. I don't have any judgment on these people. But I, I feel like the simulation theory is about, is, is, is the theory concerning our existence, it's the one theory that makes most sense to me. That's not because my old pal David Icke is a proponent of said theory. Not at all. In fact, I used to argue cats and dogs way back when I did the Spanish thing with him about that theory. It's not David Icke's theory. He's the most, um, I suppose, noteworthy explorer of such a theory in the late 20th, early 21st century. It's not his theory. Long before David Icke left the BBC or played football for Coventry in Hereford. Long before that, there were people talking about the simulation uh, theory. He's picked up on it, and he's run with it, and he's added to it to his credit. Of course he has. Uh, no, so it's not him. I've looked at it, and I've looked at it, and I've looked at lots of other things, and yes, that's what I would put my money on. But of course I can't prove it. What the hell do I know? Um, so Craig would be right. This is a virtual reality simulation. And to get into the metaverse would be entering one within one. Entering a virtual reality within a virtual reality. It's what Ike said. He said, you're, you're, you're going another step away from your reality. He believes your reality is that you are an energetic spiritual being of light. Consciousness, basically. All that could be all that ever was, all that ever will be, that's what you are. And that everything else you think, everything you see, you taste, you touch, is actually not real. That's what he believes. And I would put, if somebody put a gun to my head and said, you've got to put your last tenor on, you know, betting on which theory of evolution, not evolution, let's not say evolution, which theory of human existence is real, I would go with the one I just mentioned. In a few moments' time, we'll be speaking to Charlie Robinson. I'm looking forward to that. He's an author, a broadcaster, a podcaster. He's great fun, and he's always very interesting. And it's kind of him to come back on the programme. 
He'll be with us after this from Mike and the Mechanics. It's the Living Years on the Richie Allen Show, Thursday show. Mike and the Mechanics on the Richie Allen Show. That is uh, the Living Years. The time is 18 minutes past six. The BBG with you till seven o'clock. Bank holiday weekend. Hope you're enjoying it. Hope you're in good form. It's been a warm one today. The weather forecast is dismal for Sunday. That gives me, that warms the cockles of my heart. I am childish though. I've always been immature. I'll never change. My guest this hour is a great, great guy. He's a terrific author and broadcaster. Check out the Macro Aggressions podcast. It's brilliant. He uh, has written the books The Octopus of Global Control and Hypocrisy, Surviving in a World of Cultural Double Standards. It's always a pleasure to welcome back to the programme the one and only Charlie Robinson. Welcome back, Charlie. How are you? Thank you for having me. How are you? 100%. I'm tip-top. And uh, congratulations. Your daughter graduated earlier this week. You had a family day out. That must have been nice. It was nice. I mean, it's a, it's it's graduation from the fifth grade, so you know we're not we're not trying to make too big of a deal out of it. But uh, but it's good to have the family back together. You know, it's good to have the kids back in school where they belong without masks on their face and all that ridiculous nonsense. And it was a. Uh, it was nice to have a little bit of normalcy. So I'll take it where I can get it. Absolutely. And it is important for children. Graduating fifth grade or seventh grade or fourth grade, it's the biggest deal in the world, isn't it, uh, to, to, to children. So, so I'll be cheeky and I'll ask a personal question then. Now, I know you and um, your wife, your partner, would, have, would obviously have, have tried to mitigate any impact on, on your daughter. But what, what, what have your observations been of what the lockdown stuff and the masks did um, for her. How did she cope with it? Well, she actually went through pretty pretty fine. I mean, she came out of it okay. She 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 never got sick. She never got down as far as um, emotionally down. The kids had. Um, she's in a smaller classroom. They 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 had been together since kindergarten, first grade, second grade. So they knew each other really well. It was a. Uh, a well-integrated class, and they made it through all right. But, you know, the, the same can't be said for a lot of kids, um, a lot of kids that wound up. I, th- I think the the remote schooling was the weirdest part because there was no structure. And with no structure like that, it really caused big problems for their, you know, understanding what to expect and managing their time and not being on, you know, they're in front of a computer screen. So there's a lot of that going on. So it was, it was weird. Um, but, but, you know, she made it through as best as can be expected given the circumstances. And, uh, and of course I had to bite my tongue yeah. during, during most of it. No doubt you did. Final question on that. So you would have been concerned then that, cause, cause I, I don't have children, but I was a child and um, I have a lot of time for children. I enjoy the company of children. I'm good with children. And we know that they take things literally, children, and they can get very nervous and scared about things and they can keep those feelings to themselves. So when all of this stuff was going around about the virus and lockdown and protect granny and all of that, were you concerned that this might, you know, be, be you know, I suppose, um, making her fearful? And if you were, did you talk to her about it? 
I did talk to her about it because I didn't want her to be fearful because I felt like that would have been the worst situation. The worst part of this would be to have this internalized fear that you that you just you feel like, oh, my God, everybody's going to die. So I said, listen, let's talk about the reality of this situation. It's a virus. It's making people sick. People get sick all the time. This is going to impact people that are already um, in poor health the, the most. So this is going to be a reminder to us to take care of our bodies, be very conscious of what we put in them, be that, you know, the foods that we eat, the air that we breathe, the water that we drink. Let's make sure that we're um, taking care of ourselves first and foremost. And, um, and I, and I, I explained it to her that she didn't have to fear this, that this was, uh, going to be a much bigger concern for, for people that are older, people with compromised immune systems, but that she and all the people that she knew in school were, were going to be just fine. And of course they were. So, um, you know, I wasn't worried about the physical aspects of this, but I did have concerns about what this was going to do uh, mentally. I mean, we were, she's in an age now where you're not, <clears throat> you're not susceptible to things like speech development delays and, and, and things like that, where, whereas the little kids were. But that was something that, you know, we have to really think about. The, the, the psychological trauma that this caused for kids is impossible to quantify. I mean, how can you measure that? You can, you, you know, th and they drag that with them for the rest of their lives or they, they see somebody in a mask. And I always thought that the mask was a, a visual representation of an invisible problem, you know, that they needed some sort of visible way to show you that there was a situation. Yeah. And um, because as you know, as we know, as you know, and your audience knows, this is this was about a much bigger agenda. So it wasn't in it wasn't a, a, an honest representation of the threat level that we felt or that we faced, but it was something that was manufactured to appear much bigger. And, and of course I can't have that conversation with a 10 year old about the, the ins and outs of, uh, of, uh, you know, where this agenda is going. But I did make sure to explain that this was, um, a situation where there, there was less to fear than you would, than you're being led to believe and we acted, at least in our house and with the friends that we interacted with, uh, we never made it a big deal. We never we never gave anybody a reason to feel scared. We weren't doing all of the, you know, all of the mandatory testing every five minutes and things like that. But, um, yeah, you know, and I and I had to keep my mouth shut on a lot of, <laughs> a lot of the stuff to, like the box clever. programs where they... You had to box clever. Yeah, man. Th thanks for that. That's really yeah. interesting as somebody who isn't a parent. Charlie Robinson is our guest. There's so much to get into in the time we have, which is already going by um, really quickly. I'd like to talk about the school shootings, obviously, get your thoughts on that. But just before I do, I'm fascinated by a story that I covered on my own website yesterday. And it's um, California becoming the first state in the United States to document the harms that the state committed against slaves. And as part of doing that, by way of doing that, they're going to make financial um, reparations to the descendants of slaves. I, I wrote about this and I tried to be, I always tried to be kind of fair and see it from one or two different points of view. I don't think any right-minded person thinks that slavery is a good idea. Not now, not, not, not whenever. It's a bad thing. But to 
to, to take taxpayer money and to give it to people who had great, great, great grandfathers or grandmothers in the late 19th century who might have been owned. Again, nobody would think that's a good idea today to to basically penalise the taxpayer. That's I, I, I really think that's sinister and dangerous in terms of the precedent it sets there. California, I suppose we shouldn't be too surprised California is the first state to do it. What are your thoughts on that, Charlie? Well, as somebody that grew up in California, I watched them take a beautiful state that was, in my childhood, well-run, and turn it into a woke, dystopian hellscape. And all of this is because of the ideology of the people that are running the state of California. They're woke Marxists. They are doing things like uh, voting in Chesa Bowden as the district attorney of San Francisco, who then makes it so that they won't prosecute crimes under any any theft under nine hundred and fifty dollars, and they're letting people out of prison that are that have been found guilty of of capital murder and things like this. They're they're appealing to a very small but noisy demographic of complainers. And I I'm like you, Richie. I have I have a ton of empathy for the the sins of our past here in America, what we did to the slaves, like you said, nobody in their right mind could ever stand up and 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 advocate for something as repulsive as that. But but where where is this is a slippery slope. You know, if we compensate you know, a fifth generation person because of some atrocity that had happened to to their relatives, well what about the Indians? What about the Native Americans? I mean, we slaughtered them. What about them? I mean, let's if we're going to be intellectually honest about who is due some retribution or or, um, um, or, or a funding, it would be the Indians, I would say, first. But wouldn't African-Americans, sorry to interrupt, Charlie, wouldn't African-Americans say, well, hang on, Charlie, didn't they give a lot of land and casino licenses to Native American tribes. So so some black people might say, just being the devil's advocate here now, they might say, well, they did do right by the the um, Native Americans. They might also say, aren't we constantly giving money to Israel? And aren't, uh, isn't Germany still, you know, paying money to the descendants of people who were killed in the concentration camp? So black people might say, well, hang on a second, there is a precedent. Well, look, we shouldn't be giving money to Israel. Um, Amen. <laughs> we, should, uh, uh, we should be prioritizing that. Look, we've got problems at home. California, first of all, California is in no position to be giving out money. They're broke. They're broke. They're talking about raising their tax, their state income tax from 13%, which is the highest already in, in the country, to 16%. And people are leaving California in droves. I, 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 I've watched it happen. I know lots of people that have left. It's it's a real thing. So the idea that California is going to, uh, this is virtue signaling. They don't have the money for it. How would the process even work? I Listen, I think that, um, you know, what we did with regard to slavery was reprehensible, but um, but but what are, what are we going to do? Are we going to just everybody that has a grievance lines up and, and gets paid out by the state of California? I think they're just trying to appear I think that they're they're uh, they're trying to appear very compassionate 
but the compassion in the government of California is is a very interesting. It's a very weird sort of a governmental structure because they prioritize all kinds of insane things like um, used to be against the law to knowingly have HIV or AIDS and have sex with a person and not tell them. That used to be the law. You yeah. couldn't do that. You would get arrested. California said, eh, let's get rid of that. And people said, why? And they said, well, because we we're, we're just, we want to reimagine the laws. So California is out of their minds with this. They really are. There's no appetite for this nationwide. California can do this if they'd like, um, but but they're opening up a can of worms here that I don't think um, I don't think. Look, given the current problems that we have, this is not a priority. I just I just can't see it as being a priority. But it's Gavin Newsom, and he has no problem giving away everybody else's money. Everybody else's money, yeah. And and you're telling it's a terrible thing. I mean, if I was, uh, I will be ridiculed for saying this, but I'll say it. Anyway, if I was a black person, an African-American, I, I wouldn't want to be a perpetual victim of, of history. I wouldn't want to be. I wouldn't want to be considered a victim of history. Yeah, my ancestors, some, see, some very bad things happened to them, but it, but it hasn't happened to me. And how could, how could Californian citizens in 2022 be held liable for things that happened a hundred years ago or 120 years ago? It's, it's bad news and, and it's, it's, it's basically... It's it's um it's given people a ready made excuse to fail. You're saying to black yeah. people, fail if you want, don't worry about it. It's not your fault. It's history. It's because your ancestors were put down in the way they were, which is terrible. Charlie Robinson is our guest. It was terrible, but they can't they can't be doing that. It's, where where that ends up, where that goes, is truly, truly authoritarian. It's terrible. Charlie Robinson is our guest. Macroaggressions. Great podcast. Always interesting. Um he's an author, broadcaster. Lovely to have him back on the programme. You know, talk you you know you're talking to a paddy, don't you? A Mick as oh, I yeah. am. And um, I've never um, never held a gun, don't know anything about guns, saw a shotgun once in, in, in Ireland when somebody was shooting rabbits. And I lived in Spain and the police are heavily armed there, but don't know much about guns. Um, so I take a fairly broad kind of look at gun laws and gun control. It's none of my business. I, I'm not a, an American citizen, but I watch it very closely, especially when there's a shooting which involves anybody. It doesn't matter whether it's uh, adults or, or children. I suppose it's particularly poignant when it happens in a school. It must be for you as a, uh, as a dad, Charlie. It must be for you when you see something like that um, happening. What do you think happens? Um, how does it happen that um, somebody walks into a school with a gun, whether it's a handgun or a semi-automatic gun, and begins shooting at children or at staff. Before we talk about gun control laws and easy yeah. access to guns, how is it that in many other countries where people can get guns, you know, that these things don't tend to happen? Why does it happen in the US? Well, let's take a, a page out of our good friend Bill Cooper's book, Behold a Pale Horse, page 225, in fact. Quote, the government encouraged the manufacture and importation of military firearms for the criminals to use. This is intended to foster a feeling of insecurity, which would lead the American people to voluntarily disarm themselves by passing laws against firearms, using drugs and hypnosis on mental patients in a process called Orion, 
the CIA inculcated the desire in these people to open fire on schoolyards and thus inflame the anti-gun lobby. This plan is well underway and so far is working perfectly. The middle class is begging the government to do away with the Second Amendment. So. Go on. I think, I'm that, I think there's some real problems in this country with mental illness in general. I think that you don't have to be whipped up into a frenzy by the FBI to go shoot up a school. It certainly helps. And, and you know, the topics that you cover on your show and the topics that I write about or cover in my, in, in, on my show, we get in, we get a little deeper than just the headlines. And, and I have a very, you know, look, I'm, I'm not a gun. I'm not a fan of guns. I don't like them. I've had experiences in my life in which guns were involved and things got really bad. And I don't, I don't like to be in the world, <laughs> living in a world where guns yeah. exist. However, I'm also realistic and, and, and I have to recognize the problem. If we pass additional gun laws, and by the way, in the United States, guns are everywhere and gun laws are everywhere. The problem, be, and this is a conversation that has been going on for four Forever. decades at yeah. least in this country. Um, you're not going to gun laws will disarm the wrong types of people. And in this current environment, especially since we just talked about California, how lax they are on crime, you will get yourself in a situation where the people that will be armed will be the state, meaning the military and the police and the criminals. And this is a really bad position for law abiding citizens to be in. Now I say this as somebody that just, I don't like guns, but I also I'm not in favor of giving away my rights, especially when you consider what happens in countries that have given away their guns. We look at Australia and what they've gone through with their COVID camps and the whatnot. We see this sort of, you know, I've got a quote in my octopus book from Mao that says, you know, you disarm the population before the slaughter. So we, you know, history is, yeah. is filled with examples of whether it's Stalin or, or, or Pol Pot or Hitler or, you know, or Mao, you, you see what happens when the wrong people find their way into positions of power inside government and they disarm the population, regardless of the reason. And there may be, you know, they may have had reasons for it. But once the population is disarmed, they're in a very precarious spot. And so can I, I jump in there and ask you this? Sorry, yeah, to, sorry to interrupt you. Yeah, yeah. Everything you said there is, is accurate. I, I, I agree with that. In terms of Australia, though, I, I keep thinking about this. If Australia was, um, if its population was was as armed as you are in the United States, do you think it would have made any difference in terms of, like when we saw those crazy lockdowns in Oz and some of those, you know, ridiculous arbitrary rules? Um, I mean, there, there weren't too many more locked down places than Australia. It was nightmarish there. Honestly, probably not. I, 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 I probably yeah. wouldn't have made a huge difference. But I think part of it is the is that the government knows that they can push a little bit further than they might normally push, knowing this. Um, but you, you know, you may be right. I, I'm not. I'm not saying that the Australians would have necessarily picked up their their guns. And, I'm just and being that, devil's that advocate. Been, That's all I'm being. I listen. Yeah. I I see this 
very similarly to you. Another thing I wonder about the United States, look, the Second Amendment is important. I, you know, if I happened to be running a state, I wouldn't be inclined to be, you know, taking people's Second Amendment rights away from them. I wouldn't. I suppose you would do your best to look at how you could prevent psychopaths getting guns. But as you said, I think there are plenty of good laws there anyway. But what what I wouldn't do is I wouldn't take the the rights of honest people, of law-abiding people, to have guns away. But here's my next question on that. If things go as badly as we think we might do, and Charlie, by the way, has written some brilliant books. The Octopus of Global Control is a great book. Hippocrates is a great book. Read those books, folks, if you haven't before. Check them out. Buy them. Um, prescient, really relevant at this time. I would say this, if everybody is armed to the the teeth in America, if the state eventually decides, right, this is it now, the people really will own nothing. We are going to confiscate, uh, excuse me, confiscate. We are going to shut things down. Will those guns be any good against the state? Because I've said before on my website, you know, people have guns, but the state always has bigger guns and they have people that are armed to the teeth with other weapons and trained, you know, for urban warfare, will they make any difference? What, what, I'm, I'm asking a very simple question. I'm making it very difficult. Will the guns ever really offer any real protection to people if the state goes full on, you know, if it goes full on psycho, basically? Yeah, I think that, I mean, look, you're right. The The state has bigger bigger guns the 1033 program here in the United States has is a program that recycled military hardware back into the local police forces. Yeah. And all the police had to do was pay for the shipping and handling, which is the an 80,000 um, automatic weapons were were rotated back in to, to be available to the police. Um, over 200 grenade launchers. I don't know why they needed those. Helicopters, uh, MRAPs, the big tank-like vehicles. So we're dealing with a police force that now looks like military. And over the course of my lifetime, the police have have changed from, you know, the nice blue uniform with the with the little, you know, the old-timey hat yeah. uh, to more looking like they're in Fallujah, you know, black gear, helmet, goggles, machine, you know, submachine guns and, and all of this stuff. So they've started to, when they're armed like the military, they dress like the military, they're getting trained by the military. It makes you think, you know, who's the enemy in this scenario, right? If the police are there to protect and serve us, who's the enemy? And unfortunately, some people are of the opinion that we, the people, are the enemy, um, that the that the police are coming after. And I don't think that, you know, will our guns stand up to their guns? No, of course not. No, that that and but I think the point is that if the US government decides that it is going to go full authoritarian, they're gonna get bogged down in a in a in a battle. I think people are gonna say, I'm I'm not going into a camp. So you can you're not gonna take me alive. And there's a lot of Americans that have that philosophy. They're you think you think that might unite people, cities, Charlie? Though. Not in the big cities. That's interesting because one of the things I lament quite a bit on this program is how communities have become very much, how people have become very distanced from one another in communities. You know, we, we've talked, I think you and I have talked about this before, that, for example, most people, and it sounds very depressing, but most people, they don't know too much about their neighbours. And that's not good. And of course, that suits the agenda, it suits the um, the status quo. 
But but from what you're saying, he thinks that if it ever did go full on, very quickly full on dystopia, that that might be the straw that breaks the camel's back. It might bring people together. And if those people are armed and you've got militias, that might, you know, be uh, at least some sort of resistance against the tyranny. It's outside of the big cities, for sure. The, it already exists. There's a, there's, there are communities that just feel differently about the role of guns. Some of them have them, you know, people that are out outside of the big cities have them for a variety of reasons. They go hunting, they use them for protection against wildlife. You know, there, there are reasons to have them. And those people are always the best about gun safety yeah. and um being responsible. Those are the people you don't have to worry about because they take their guns very seriously. They teach their kids to take them seriously. They aren't a problem. They're demonized as if they're the problem, but they're really not the problem. Those are the people that are going to say, I'm standing up for myself. Now, in the cities, the cities have all been essentially disarmed. I mean, they've made it so difficult. The, the big cities, the, the big, uh, the big metropolises, cities, yeah. 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 Los Angeles, Seattle, Portland, these, these, Chicago. These places are war zones already. I mean, Chicago is a mess. 50 killed last week, just over the the three-day memorial weekend. 50 shot, um, I should say. So this is this is a problem that we're already facing. So the 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 question about gun control is, um, you know, it's it's a personal, it's really a personal decision. And and it, and it a lot of people it depends on their experiences with guns. I personally, I've had I've watched my mom have a gun put to her head. By people trying to steal her car and kidnap us. Did you witness so, that, Charlie? Jesus. I witnessed it. Yeah. I watched you guys. And you know what the guys, Christ. the two guys that did it? They were Marines. They were military. And they were doing this. So when you see that, so it changed my relationship with guns. It you know, I don't like them, but I also don't like being unarmed. Yeah. And I think we're starting to see a lot of people feel like, well, I think I just better have something in case. Now, whatever, what that in case is, I think that varies from person to person. From person what to person. What, you know, but but it, it's a conversation that's being laid out now. I think, you know, the school shooting component to it is, um, you know, always paints it as, well, you know, these, these crazy people just get these guns and they start shooting up kids. Well, that's really not, statistically speaking, that's not really a big problem here. The media makes it a big problem. And I'm not trying to say it's okay by, at all. I'm not trying to say that, but, but the media manufactures this. I mean, the truth of the matter is that walking around downtown Chicago is infinitely more dangerous than being inside a school. And, and that is because the laws that have been passed and in those particular cities limit people from being able to protect themselves. So it is a situation where the good guys are disarmed because they're good and the bad guys are armed because they're bad and they don't care about the laws. So it takes 11 minutes for a police officer on average, 11 minutes for a police officer to respond to a call. If you have a, if someone's breaking into your house or if someone is holding your family at gunpoint, you don't have time to, sit around and wait and wait, a lot of yeah, times. Yeah. So, so there, there's some practical reasons for it, but I, I get it, man. This is not a, uh, it's not an, it's not a, a clear cut answer. It's not a binary choice issue. There's a lot issue. of nuance. Yes. Well said. It's not binary choice. This, um, that's, and presumably these Marines, um, they were basically carjacking to sell or chop up the car and, yeah. oh gee, what an, what an experience. And your we, mom, your we, mom got away unhurt, did she? 
she got away unhurt. I was sit, I was sitting in the there. passenger side waiting for her at three o'clock in the afternoon in, in the parking lot of a, of a mall. You know, it happened in broad daylight. And she got away because she said that in her mind, she had a, a flash through a vision of a newspaper article that said they found her dead, raped body in a ravine. No and way. she didn't want me to see her get killed. So she started honking the horn and trying to shut the car door on them. And they wound up walking away. They got arrested. And I had to go as an eight year old kid, I had to go pick them out of a police lineup, you know, where they put them behind the two way glass and you, and it's like seven of them. And you go, Did you that's, really? the guy. that's the guy, that's the guy that tried to kill my mom, you know, that, that, and, that's a, what a traumatic thing to, to, to go through. And was that something yeah. that you had to come to terms with? Was that a difficult thing to deal with? I mean, yeah. it must have been. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I have a whole lot of respect. I always love my mom, but I have a whole lot of respect for 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 her for doing that, for recognizing that the you know, however quick that decision was made, the statistics say if they if you allow them to move you from one place to another, which is what they intended to do, the chances of you living through that experience are very low. And she knew that if we got moved from where they you know, where we were to where they wanted to take us, anything could happen. Brave so, woman, Charlie. You know, that's a situation where an armed, an armed um, victim in that case, maybe you have a chance. You know, so so I could so it it made me it made me simultaneously feel two you know two ways. I don't like guns. I wish they weren't involved because this wouldn't have happened. But also, I fully understand the right for people to defend themselves about what could possibly happen. Charlie Robinson is our guest. And finally on that, before we talk about something else, before we run out of time, um, kudos to your mum's courage, by the way. I have to, I have to say that. On, on this, this, this issue of schools, I noted in the Telegraph newspaper two or three days ago that the celebrity couple, Patrick Keelty, he's an Irish comedian, and uh, Kat Dealey, She's a uh, she's done a lot of work presenting television in the states. They've left Los Angeles to come back to the UK to live. They've done well out there. They they, they haven't come back because um, things have dried up for them. They've chosen to come back because of of shooter drills uh, in their kids' school. The children were put through shooting drills, and that really spooked. Uh, the British couple, the, the English and Irish couple, and they said, we, we can't put up with that. And again, I don't like being personal, but is that something now that your daughter can expect to experience in the future and other children? They'll be asked to do live shooter drills because I suppose I asked that because I think that's it's a pretty terrible thing to be asking a child to, to, to think about, Charlie, you know? Yeah, it's a, I don't know that, that, that it will happen at her particular school. However, I do think that in the public school system in the area where we live, that she that those kids are definitely going to be exposed to that at some time. Now, now they might not call it a school shooting drill. They may label it as something else to try and minimize the trauma. But but that look, the idea that you're even introducing this concept to kids is well, it's a sign of of how different things are than when we were kids, Richie. You know, and yeah. and and. Just the idea that it's something that you prepare for the way you might prepare for um, 
you know, when I was a kid, it might be an earthquake drill. Oh, if you hear an earthquake, you got to get under your desk. I guess in our parents, it was like, you know, if, if the nuclear missiles come in, you get under your desk. Yeah. You know, So they've always been traumatizing us at schools yeah. in some way, shape or form, I, I suppose. But the idea, look, I don't blame them for, for, for recognizing that what was happening in Los Angeles is, is a bit insane and, and, and getting their kids and their, you know, themselves and their kids out of that. Um, it, we are setting up, first of all, we're making it, we're, we're giving kids ideas about the concept of school shooting in general. Whereas I don't know that a lot of them would even consider it had they not, um, you know, had they not, uh, had run through a live drill. Coincidentally, Richie, I live like right down the street from Columbine where, where there was the first real well-known school shooting yes. in America. Yeah. Uh, and one that was, was so horrible. Well, it was horrible statistically, but it was also horrible because there was video of it. You know, there yeah. were images of it happening. Two guys really... as well, wasn't it? Two, two, two yeah. young men did that. Yeah. 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 And, uh, they, you know, they, you know, and it was, it was the same, you know, radicalized online by video, or, you know, with violent yeah, yeah. video games and that sort of thing. And, and, um, it, it, it was, it was a wake up call for a lot of people. But, but I think that in, in this current paradigm that we're living in here in America, the idea of having school shooting drills in schools is a reality and it is probably going to be here to stay unfortunately um whether these school shootings are a hundred percent organic or whether they are not the point still remains that you can use this as the pretext to create fear and uncertainty and it also works really well at shaping uh laws and and, and such yeah the former u.s assistant as Treasury Secretary Paul Craig Roberts, I know you know Paul, he said to me, he said to me on this program um, a week ago, I think, or maybe less, he said, look, I've looked at it very carefully over a number of years. And he said, we have to consider the strong possibility that some of these men are, you know, some sort of Manchurian candidates. And so many of these young men, they, they have a lot of similarities, like, um, taking medicine for depression or taking antipsychotic medication. Yes. And uh, yeah, I'm wide open to that possibility. I mean, if you desperately wanted to, to disarm a nation, if you de desperately wanted to make it um, more difficult for people to get guns and you had the opportunity to do something like this. But it's an evil that's almost unimaginable to most people because we all love children. Children are beautiful, well, beautiful beings. Yes. Who would do that? You know, and there's they always frame it as that there's there's one common denominator in this equation. The child had a had access to guns. Yeah. Well, but I would say this. There are usually two other common denominators as well. And you mentioned one of them. Psychotropic drugs, SSRIs, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors. These are antipsychotic drugs. These these really rewire people's brains, especially children, in a, in a way that makes them completely unpredictable. And I would say the other common denominator that shows up in almost all of these shootings is previous contact with the FBI. So um, uh, Paul Craig Roberts is correct in Big saying that, that he, you know, he, he believes that some of them, I'm not going to say all of them, of course, but a, a percentage of them are being 
put in a position to happen. They're incubated in some way, shape or form, either by the feds or or being put on these very dangerous drugs or a combination of the two. Charlie, we're just about out of time. Um, there were other things we could have talked about, but we'll, we'll, we'll do it next time. Charlie presents Macroaggressions. Uh, check it out. You'll find it online. You'll find it on, on Twitter as well. He's written The Octopus of Global Control. These are books now which I've read and I endorse. Hypocrisy, Surviving in a World of Cultural Double Standards is a great read. Charlie, where can people find you online, my friend? You can find me um, at my website, theoctopusofglobalcontrol.com. You can find me on Twitter at Macroaggressions, where um, my podcast goes out wherever audio podcasts are available. Also on David Icke's platform, Iconic. You get it everywhere. On Band.Video, yeah. Rockfin, and Odyssey. And I'm bummed that we didn't get a chance to talk about uh, Prince Andrew. I see that they, they put him on the bench for this. Uh, well, it gets worse. Listeners have been telling me while we're while we're talking today, he was benched today. And he was due to attend something tomorrow, some lesser event. But um, now it's been announced that he's come down with COVID. So he won't be doing anything this weekend, Charlie. I, 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 he didn't come down with Epstein-Barr? <laughs> yeah, people really are dumb, you know, if they, if they believe it. But I don't think, I think people are sceptical enough now that they won't believe that. Yeah, they've put him out of the way. I'm surprised they didn't send him on holiday somewhere. But then there are, maybe there are not too many destinations where, where he'll be welcome. Charlie, I love speaking with you. We'll do it again really soon, uh, mate. Thanks for coming on theoctopusofglobalcontrol.com. You've been listening to the author and the presenter of Macro Aggressions. As Charlie said, you'll get it on the iconic platform and any good provider of podcasts, you'll find it too. It's a great listen. Lovely to have you back, Charlie. All the best for now. Thank you, buddy. Talk to you soon. Talk to you real soon and have a great weekend. Charlie Robinson live on uh, Thursday's Richie Allen Show. Patricia was in touch. In fact, uh, a lot of you were in touch. Patricia was in touch to scold me, to say, give the Native Americans land. It was their land. Of course it was. I wasn't suggesting it wasn't. But that, that's what they did. They gave them back their own land. <laughs> Excuse me. By way of reparations. And they, they gave them casino licenses as well. When I say them, not every tribe, but some tribes. That's right. None of you were asking questions about semi-automatic weapons and guns, the difference between handguns. As far as I understand, you can get handguns which hold magazines which hold as many as 20 bullets, maybe more. That's a handgun. Uh, revolvers were guns where you had to put six bullets into the chamber and then you would have to constantly reload. The fear with semi-automatic weapons is, uh, the machine guns and stuff, the assault rifles, is that they can hold big old magazines, cartridges, and fire dozens and dozens and dozens of rounds, uh, bullets and stuff like that. People often ask, why would you need one of them? Like, you could be a gun enthusiast and own a gun if you like. Why would you need one of those things? But I'm just not qualified to talk about any of this, really. I don't like guns. Guns horrify me. I don't think I would ever own one. Even if I lived in the United States of America, I would not have a gun in my house. The way I see it, if somebody comes into my house to rob me, if that person is armed and in the middle of the night I go fumbling with a gun, chances are I'm probably going to kill myself, my wife, my child before I kill the burglar. As for owning a gun to protect myself against the state, the state is tyrannical. The Great Reset Agenda is a real thing, but I don't think owning a gun is going to do me any good. That's just how I feel about it. But you could write 
you know, as I said, you could write on the back of a stamp what I know about owning guns and, and why people want to own them. I do appreciate people feel their governments are becoming more and more oppressive. Yes, tyrannical, yes. Is a gun going to stop them if they come down the street with all of that military gear that Charlie talked about? I'm not so sure. Thank you for listening to the programme this week. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thanks um, for being with me, for your comments as well. Back with you this coming Sunday morning at 10 o'clock for Sunday Morning Melodies, which is a different programme. It's got nothing to do with this. Join me on richieallen.co.uk or tunein.com on Sunday for Sunday Morning Melodies. Until then, have a great weekend. Look after yourselves and one another. And I'm sure you're off tomorrow. Whether you like the Queen or not, you'll be off. So enjoy it, and I hope the weather is good for you, despite what I said earlier. See you later. Bye now. We both lie silently still in the dead of the night. Although we 